Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. Before I get into my next guest, I just want to remind you, um, as I always do, that if you are looking for content to listen to while you exercise, while you drive, um, things you can listen to from your smartphone, we have 750-plus interviews uh, in our audio library at ExitCoachRadio.com. And from your smartphone, you can listen to daily 20-minute interviews and one-minute highlights of interviews just by going to ecrmobile.com and listen from your smartphone while you're driving or exercising or whatever it is you're doing that takes about 20 minutes or so. My next guest is David Scranton. He's a CEO and founder of Sound Income Strategies. And let me ask you something. If, if you're over uh, 46 years old, did you realize that you're part of what is now called the income generation, and which means that you really need to make a paradigm shift in the way you think about saving for retirement to go from a 401k mindset to an income mindset and realize that your real financial and life goals are best achieved through income-based strategies that can work regardless of market conditions. That's a direct quote from my next guest, David Scranton, and we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about what some of the, the current um, state of affairs is as far as Fed, Fed's decisions on interest rates. Um, so let's get into it. David, welcome welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. And how are things going? Things are going great, Bill. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. How are you doing? Yeah, a, I'm doing great. It's, it's always great to have people back and, and to talk more about some of these strategies because our listeners can't get enough of this. Um, we're, sure. we're, we're trying to be an evergreen show. We're, we're right now kind of in another state of turmoil in the markets. It seems like uh, things aren't working out the way the feds hoped they would this time when they said they'd keep interest rates steady. Um, so, but tell us a little bit about, before we get into it, about um, sound income strategies and how you got started with this. Refresh our listeners' memory as to who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, I've been managing fixed income uh, as a primary function since the late 1990s. Uh, I, I, like most advisors, was stock market-based in the 80s and most of the 90s. In the late 90s, I started to become really concerned that the good times were going to end and we're going to go into a long-term, what what we now call a secular bear market. And I realized that I needed to have the courage to change my business model from a stock market-based model to more of a fixed-income-based model in the spirit of doing what's right for my clients. Mm -hmm. I did that for many years as just a commission-based stockbroker, and it worked great because, as you know, the way fixed-income works is when interest rates go down, that kind of provides a tailwind in bonds and bond-like instruments tend to increase in value. Well, that's pretty much what had happened between 1999 and, let's say, 2013, 2014. And when interest rates go up, of course, that creates a headwind. So we created sound income strategies so that we can manage individual fixed income securities, not bond funds, because uh, in an environment like this, bond funds are much riskier than a portfolio of diversified individual bonds, but also so that we can actively manage it so that if, if interest rates start to climb again, and eventually they will, 
we have the ability to upgrade people's people's interest payment based upon opportunities that occur from day to day. Mm-hmm. And that's it in a nutshell. But unfortunately, as you know, even though we stopped our own quantitative easing back in October of last year, our interest rates haven't gone up at all. And as you said a moment ago, Janet Yellen uh, uh, helped perpetuate that uh, just last Thursday. And it's, it's oh, I don't know how many years into it we are, but uh, the, the, the low or no interest rate environment continues on, even though there's been some so-called evidence. I don't know about you, but out here in Southern California, I talk to business owners and say, yeah, things are better. They're getting better. Uh, there's, people are always, always cautious about what's going to happen. But uh, it seems like in the, the general economy, business owners I talk to, they're saying, we're getting more orders. Things seem to be improving, and yet the feds don't want to raise interest rates. And now it's now we're worried about uh, international currencies and, and, of course, we have to be concerned about the global economy, but what's your take on why they didn't raise interest rates this time around? Well, I think the big problem is that just as the stock market has shown over the last few days, uh, the stock market and Janet Yellen both would like to be able to start raising interest rates. Simply because next time we go into a recession, she has no more ammunition in her weapons, um, short of printing money and doing another tranche of quantitative easing. You know, if interest rates were at zero, she can't really lower interest rates to stimulate. And the market knows that, which is why I think this time the market acted different from what it had in the past. Usually keeping interest rates at zero, the market would increase over the next couple of days. And, of course, this time that didn't happen. But, see, here's the problem, and this is what nobody is talking about. Um, You know, I watch, you know, CNBC, Fox Business News, as you do a lot of the time. And the only person on there that I see talking about this next topic is really me. Uh, and, and that topic is that as much as she'd love to raise rates, she can't. Because banks make money, as you know, on what's called a yield curve. Uh, banks make money when long-term rates are significantly higher than short-term rates. Because, of course, banks lend out and they collect interest based upon long-term rates, and they pay interest to depositors based upon short-term rates. Mm-hmm. When those two interest rates get too close together, as you know, it's called a flat yield curve, and banks don't like to lend in that kind of environment. So right now the dilemma she has is that long-term rates are being held down artificially because of what's going on in Europe and China, et cetera. They're quantitative easing over in Europe, so that's keeping our rates down. If she raises short-term rates even 1%, she will be cutting that spread between short-term and long-term rates essentially in half. And let's face it, banks aren't even out there lending. They're not lending today as Janet Yellen wishes they would. And if she were to raise short-term rates, they'd lend even less. And if banks stopped lending, we would go into a recession. It would be a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's the dilemma that she has right now on her hands. And, and that's why I, I, I've always said since the end of 2014 even that I – I don't think she'll be able to raise rates at all in the calendar year of 2015 for that reason. Wow, that's interesting. And and what if, you know, like you said, it's it's priced in that when we need additional stimulus, we can always decrease rates, but we can't anymore because we're at the floor. Uh, you know, this this has um, tremendous backlash if there's if there is a a problem 
uh, a recession that we go into for other circumstances. What's your take on what investors can be doing to think about getting income? Because they need a yield off of their investments. And of course, there are alternatives out there, but they must be getting the feeling the effects of all this as well. Of course. And some are, some aren't. Uh, the first thing I would say is of all the more income-based investments right now, I would say my least favorite is probably that of a high dividend paying stock portfolio. And the reason I say that is because, you know, we slipped into our bear market in the year 2000 and we had a major drop with the tech bubble and then a recovery, another major drop with the financial crisis. So from 2000 to 2013, we had zero growth in the overall stock market. All the growth that's come since the turn of the century has been in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And we've not once had one of these long-term, what we now call secular bear market cycles, without having at least three major drops inside of it, not once. So I've been calling for another major drop, and what I think we're starting to see now is the beginning of that drop. So that's why high-dividend-paying stocks would probably be my least favorite. Sure, but Bill, because what, of the, what I, what if, mm-hmm. the potential ahead. for those, those stocks obviously those stock values to go down dramatically in, in the event of a of a major correction. Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a whole universe of things out there that are designed to be invested in for interest instead of growth. Um, and we've lost sight of those because in the 1980s and 90s, we had the best stock market in U.S. history, and people became addicted to the stock market. But if you think about it, you go back to some of the basic fundamental things that have existed forever. There are various types of bonds. Um, government bonds aren't paying that much right now, but certain municipal bonds are appropriate for the right investor. Uh, corporate bonds, whether you're talking about investment grade or more middle grade, can be suitable for a certain type of investor. Preferreds, you know, preferreds are technically a class of stock, but they're much more bond-like than stock-like. They're designed for income, and they don't fluctuate in value nearly as much as common stock do. Um, in certain cases, in certain cases, maybe certain types of annuities. Um, and in certain cases, if somebody's willing to take a little more risk, maybe certain types of REITs or REITs. Those are really what I consider to be the universe of traditional income-generating investments. And we've gotten so addicted to the stock market in the 80s and 90s crossing our fingers and toes, hoping to get growth or capital appreciation, but forgetting up till recently that sometimes when you invest for growth, you get shrinkage instead. So that's why I always say, why cross your fingers and toes investing for growth when, when you can invest for what I call the bird in the hand, invest for that interest or dividend payment that may not be F- FDIC insured, but it's as close to an assured thing probably mm-hmm. as you can Great point. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, in the planning world, uh, it used to be that people would rely on uh, average yields in the range of about 5% for their planning. Has that changed in the last few years? What's a reasonable rate of return for people to assume that they can get from a portfolio long term if they use all of these things in some combination? I always say 3 to 7%. So 5% is not that far off the mark, depending upon which things they want to choose. Some of the things 
are extremely conservative, insured by governmental authority, whereas others have a little bit of risk but are considered to be a lot safer than the stock market. If they're willing to diversify across a few of those options, that 5% is still a pretty pretty good target. Okay, that's good to know. And so when we talk about uh, the generation of the, the income generation, let's talk about that and how people should be thinking about maybe managing their 401ks if they're over 45 and they're thinking about, okay, I need to, I need to start getting positioned for this. Uh, because you, as you said, there was what was called the lost, generate, the lost decade in the stock market, which was uh, the, really a shock for a lot of people because they were really hoping that their 401k would have doubled in that time period like it had in times before or, or more. So how should people be positioning now to think about their, their, um, uh, their in, the income generation and preparing for income as opposed to uh, taking a chance on growth? Well, and yeah, it's a good question. The reason why age 46 is material is because a lot of people don't realize that although you cannot take money from your IRAs until you're 59 and a half years old, you can take money from your 401k if you've left the company at age 55 without an IRS penalty. And, you know, when the tech bubble burst, the market dropped and came back and it took seven years from peak to peak to come back. When the financial crisis hit, it took six years from peak to peak to come back. Well, there's no saying that when we get this third drop that it can't take eight to ten years. So that's where we tell people that when you start to get in your late 40s, you want to start to shift from risk to safety. The most vital years where it's important for an investor to make no errors with their investments is the 10 years immediately leading up to retirement and the 10 years immediately after retirement. That is the 20-year span of consecutive years where a mistake could be financially devastating. And the reality of it is, you know, we have a whole generation of people with 401ks now that have what I call the 401k mindset, you know, where they, they get their statement and they look at it. If it's higher than it was the previous month, they're in a good mood. If they get their statement and it's lower than it was the previous month, maybe they're in the bad mood for a few hours or a day or so. <laughs> okay, right. It's, look, it's looking at the net worth. It's looking at the balance. Well, when you retire, it's not about your net worth anymore. It's about how much income that net worth can generate. It's all about income. There is no retirement without income, as you well know. And, mm -hmm. and that's where we make the mindset, the mindset change that, you know, if you invest for income, you get your statement and you look to the right-hand column. Most statements, most companies have the income on the right-hand column of a brokerage statement where you see how much income you're getting. And what's interesting is with fixed income investments, whether the investments increase or decrease in value, your income stays the same. So that even if your investments drop, you don't feel as badly because your income hasn't changed. And when you make that mindset from net worth and 401k brain to, to income, then all of a sudden you realize that, hey, it doesn't matter if my investments drop, my income stays the same. Okay? Problem is in your 401k. 401Ks are the most difficult, and I'm saying this because you asked specifically about 401Ks. 401Ks do not really have a lot of suitable options in them for investors that want income. Most 401Ks have umpteen stock funds, one or two bond funds, and a fixed interest fund that, if you're really lucky, is making 3%. They don't offer any of the instruments I'd mentioned a moment ago, individual bonds, preferreds, annuities, right. REITs. Typically, they don't offer those. So that's the problem with 401ks, unfortunately. But if you've rolled it over to an IRA, 
now that universe opens up, and I always encourage people to change from a lump sum focus to an income-based focus, especially when they get over 50. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So people should really, um, I, t- I think they typically get their 401k statement, and there's the, the list, let's say it's sorted from top to bottom on yield, and uh, a, a lot of people probably over the last few years have done just the opposite of what you're saying and have instead chased after the last the last reports of yield that they see, which puts them into a dangerous position if the market does correct like it it has been doing some minorly, and like you said, if it, if a major one comes up, a lot of people should probably be reevaluating whether or not that value that they're chasing is going to be there, or whether they should maybe be a reassessing. And so, as people do that, as they as they get in touch with you, um, what are they typically asking? What what's what's the beginning of a of a relationship with your firm, David? Well, beginning of a relationship with us is typically whereby. People, we gather information. People tell us about where their investment holdings are now, uh, when they think they want to retire, what their other goals are in life. And we start to diagnose, you know, if they have what I call cancer in their portfolio. Sometimes people get a clean bill of health. I look at it and I say, hey, you know what, you're doing a great job or your advisor's doing a great job. Go take him to lunch. He deserves it. There's other times when people come to us and, and I say, well, there is some cancer here. Let's carve out the cancerous part. Let's keep the good card. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. And in which case, we will do that. And a lot of times, right now, it falls, the cancers, if you will, tend to fall into one of two categories. One is still those people that are addicted to the stock market. I call it uh, being stuck in the 90s mentally when it comes to your money. Um, And they're, you know, they took a huge hit when the tech bubble burst, when the financial crisis hit. And I I believe strongly they're they're about to take another huge hit. Um, so for them, we're trying to lower the risk. The other school of thought, though, is for those that are so conservative that have already gotten burnt twice since the turn of the century, and they're sitting in low-yielding interest-bearing accounts hoping and praying that interest rates are going to go back up again. And those people, I, I, I think, are misgiven on in, in the basis that, unfortunately, we seem to be following the suit of Japan, who's had interest rates near zero for 24 years. So for those people, we try to just increase their yield a little bit, get them returning a little bit more, within their own comfort level. Okay, so there's a there's a wide variety of ways that um, these things can be dealt with, but the first step is to have someone take a look at it, reanalyze, like you said, whether there's cancer in the 401k account or in your IRA account or your retirement assets. And, David, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Um, I'm going to have them call me. I have, we have three offices, so I'm just going to give you one toll-free number. Uh, the number is 877-399-1933. That's 877-399-1933. And if they want to learn more from the comfort of their home and their computer, they can go to our website, which is soundincomestrategies.com. Very simple, soundincomestrategies.com. Great advice and uh, well, well put, well communicated. We really appreciate you coming on and updating us and letting us know what you see happening right now, David Scranton, and I uh, hope to hear from you again soon, and hopefully it'll be good news, but uh, we're, you know, we're willing to take it however it comes. <laughs> well, that sounds, that sounds great. Well, I look forward to the opportunity next time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this, so please stay with us. 
You're listening to ExitCoachRadio.com, the information station for age 50-plus business owners, where we're interviewing top advisors for their best tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new one-minute tips every day. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Business owners, if you came back from lunch and there was a resignation letter on your desk, which employee would you really, really not want it to be from? What are you doing to prevent this from happening? At Exit and Retirement Strategies, we design plans that attract, motivate, and retain key employees. For a free consultation, call Bill Black, the Exit Coach, at 866-370-3774. Call today. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 